0: Thank you for joining us today at Renovatus, a church for people under renovation. If you have a prayer need, would like to talk with a pastor, or want to share how this message impacts you, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info@renovatuschurch.com. At if you desire to support us in the work we are doing for the kingdom of God in Charlotte, you can give online at renovatuschurch.com. We hope you are truly blessed by today's message.
1: Ephesians 4, starting at verse 25, Paul said, So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing, rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands. ...so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths... ...but only what is useful for building up... ...as there is need... ...so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God... ...with which you were marked with a seal... ...for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath... ...and anger and wrangling and slander... ...together with all malice... ...and be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Going into chapter 5 now. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is not in the lectionary, but I also want to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called, or they will be called, children of God. <clears throat> a few years ago, um, a good friend of mine decided that it was time to end his 10-year stint in the military. Uh, kind of surprised me. I thought he would go on and, and spend many years in there. He seemed to love the military a lot. Uh, But he came to a time in his life where he felt like it was a good time to get out and do something else. And when he shared the news with me, he said it this way. He said, well, after 10 years, I'm taking off the uniform. Now, I was certain, at least I was hopeful, that he hadn't worn the same clothes for the last 10 years. And that he was finally taking them off for a good cleaning now that's not what he meant what he meant when he said I'm taking off the uniform was that he was shedding the thing that had the most influence over his personhood for the last 10 years while he was a father a husband a church member and many other things for the last 10 years his core identity as a soldier was what had bled in to every other role that he played it was the most central thing in defining um, and even causing the behavior that sprung out of his identity but he came to a place where he felt it was time to change that it was time to shed the thing that was the primary influence over his life for the past ten years to take off the uniform and to put on something else. I've had several conversations over the years with other individuals who have taken off the uniform. In fact recently one of my dearest friends, one of my former managers um, in retail years ago, um, he recently transitioned out of the military. He recently took off the uniform. In one of our recent conversations he talked to me about how it has been harder for him to reacclimate to to what he called the outside world than he had expected it to be. And some of you who have transitioned out of the, out of the military may have similar experiences. Um, he talked to me about how much the military had done to prepare him for this taking off of the uniform. He also talked to me about how little the military had prepared him before he took off the uniform. Um, We talked about it for a few minutes and what that was like and what those differences were and the impact it was having on him and even his family, learning how to juggle more time with the family and and understanding those new dynamics that he has as a civilian. And in our conversations, it's been multiple conversations over the past few weeks, um, he's brought things to my attention that I as a civilian had never really thought about, things that would indeed be difficult to change about yourself, things that would take some time to readjust to the new reality of not wearing the uniform. Uh, Now, our lectionary reading this morning is actually preceded by a similar recommendation by the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians chapter 4, just a couple of verses ahead of this, verses 22 through 24, Paul says, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And notice his language here. And to clothe yourself, to put new clothes on, to clothe clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness." Now, I know some of you are thinking that's really not that similar because what Paul is talking about sounds a whole lot more difficult than just taking off the uniform. Because Paul was talking about taking off an old self and putting on a new self. And it sounds like a really, really hard and difficult thing to do. Much harder than just changing clothes. Even though Paul uses that analogy, uh, it is much more difficult than that. But when we read in context all of what Paul is saying here from chapter 4 to chapter 6 and we will get there. I know last week I I got some feedback from my sermon and in the back of my mind I was thinking if you just wait a couple more weeks, hopefully we can resolve some of the tension that has been created as we work through Ephesians because Paul does exactly that. As we work through the letter, there is some resolutions that come to some of the harder things that he lays in front of us. This is no different. What Paul is driving at here is not a loss of the self. He is not driving at um, a call for us to lose the person that was created good and in the image of God. That is not what Paul is driving at at all or what Paul is trying to get us to. Um, But what he is trying to help us see is that as the baptized, as those who claim to participate in the life in Christ, as Paul refers to it, um, that there are some things that we need to take off. Things that once held power over our personhood, but now as the baptized no longer need to hold power over our personhood or over ourselves or over what we do morally and ethically. In this morning's reading, Paul tells this newly formed Christian community what to expect when they decide to take off the uniform of their old lives. Now, he does this through a series of proscriptions or prohibitions and a series of contrasting prescriptions or uh, behavior encouraging or behavior modifications. Earlier in chapter 4, Paul identifies some of the things we might have worn before we were in Christ. Of course, it's not an exhaustive list. Um, but he covers such things as um, promiscuity, greed, and out-of-control living. Uh, and even though this is not an exhaustive list, you will find as you read through the letters several more things, even in what we read this morning, several more prohibitions or behaviors that once belonged when we wore the old uniform. But now that we have come into the body of Christ or have we have come into Christ, are things that Paul imagines we can now take off, behaviors that we are no longer held bondage to. Paul begins here in verse 25 um, by talking about speaking truth to our neighbors because we are part of one another or members of one another. Now, interestingly, this uh, verse in Ephesians 4 um, is actually a loose quote From the book of Zechariah uh, in chapter 8 and we can go ahead and bring that verse up in Zechariah chapter 8 the prophet is um, Elucidating to the people of God some things they need to be aware of That if they don't do or if they don't change uh, They are in danger of either destroying themselves Or having God intervene in a way that is not going to work out uh, at least in the immediate future well for them in in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 16, the prophet says, These are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. And even though the word peace is not found in the Ephesian passage this morning, it is a theme that is enjoined both here in the word from Zechariah And in his enjoining of our role as beloved children. Because in the words of Jesus, it is the peacemakers who will be called the children of God. And when we read this passage here in Ephesians and forward, what we see is a community of peace. A community of what the Hebrews would call shalom. In which it's more than just not being violent and not being mad, but shalom is about the wholeness of all people, both as individuals and as a community. It is not just the uh, dispelling of violence, but it is the bringing in of compassion and love and grace and mercy that passes even our human capabilities and expectations it is a love and a grace and a mercy that comes from God as we follow Christ Jesus but peacemaking I would say is one of the hardest discussions to have when it comes to Christian ethics and yet the New Testament is adamant that peacemaking is central to the life of the Christian now peacemaking is an easy discussion when there are few things to be outraged about, right? I mean, when there's nothing to be mad about, we can all sing about peace and be happy about peace. Um, That's easy. But it becomes an increasingly difficult topic to discuss when there are issues that are worthy of our outrage, when there are indeed things happening in the world that we should be angry about. It becomes difficult. Even in a seminary class, uh, ethics class. Any Bible students take an ethics class? Remember that? Woohoo! Good times. That's when you found out what people's tempers look like. Even in a seminary ethics class, um, you'll find uh, you'll find that they come nearly to blows just discussing whether or not turn the other cheek. And love your enemy applies when there's a burglar in your home. Been there, done that. You see, it's tough to talk about peacemaking, it's even harder to do it. And if misunderstood, peacemaking or the idea of peacemaking can be used as a tool to discourage necessary conflict and protest. Two things that us Protestants should actually be grateful for, amen? (laughs) Conflict and protest. I mean, it's what brought us to where we're at today. And so we have to be careful that when we talk about peacemaking, we're not using it as a way of stopping conflict and protest. Because both of those things are necessary for transformation. You know, even when we talk about personal transformation, often... You know, we talk about iron sharpening iron from from the scriptures and Proverbs. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. But iron doesn't sharpen iron unless there is conflict, right? Unless there is friction and unless there is compromise. That's how it works. That's how things get sharp, friction and compromise. So while it's hard to talk about, it's even harder to do it. It can be used wrongly. It can be used for the wrong purposes, I thought this morning that our time would best be served by talking about what peacemaking is not, according to this Ephesians passage. First of all, peacemaking is not suppressing the truth for the emotional benefit of another person. Wow, I know that's hard. Especially if you're like, what are they, Enneagram 9, I'm still learning the rules. You know, we're like, conflict is the worst thing in the world that can ever happen. Peacemaking is not suppressing the truth for the emotional benefit of another person. Uh, In fact, Zechariah chapter 8 verse 16 enjoins truth-telling with peacemaking. Tell the truth to one another. And then he goes on to talk about making peace in that very short statement in Zechariah. It enjoys truth-telling with peacemaking, and Paul reiterates the value of being a community of truth-tellers at the beginning of this passage we read this morning. In verse 25, he tells them to tell the truth, put away falsehood, take off falsehood. That's one of the uniforms you are now called to take off and put on truth-telling. Let us all speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. And since we are a community that is committed to not suppressing the truth, guess what? Peacemaking will not be absence of conflict. Because when you tell the truth, there will be conflict. Can I get a witness this morning, right? Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, this is another sermon for another time. But you know when someone close to you, like your spouse or a friend or a family member, asks you something, you know? like does this article of clothing make me look a certain way or you know how did I do on this particular thing and at the moment you know that if you tell the truth you're opening the door for more conflict than you want to deal with at the moment right truth-telling will always create some form of conflict if we are committed to the truth then and we understand that the truth is a path towards peacemaking We must also understand that peacemaking is not without conflict. That peacemaking is not without that friction that comes along with getting into the nitty-gritty dirt of stuff and figuring out what the Lord is trying to speak to us in all of that. Another thing peacemaking is not. Peacemaking is not the absence of anger. Peacemaking is not the absence of anger. In fact, Paul admits in this very passage that you will get angry. That if you're a community committed to the truth, and if you're a community that is trying to put off the old self and put on a new self, there will be times in which you find yourself angry. Especially if someone just told you the truth about something, right? Anger is a natural emotion to us humans. God gets angry in the scriptures. We were made in the image of God. And being made in that image, there are times in which we have anger. Sometimes we refer to it as righteous anger whenever we feel particularly angry about something that we feel is unethical according to the scriptures or Christian tradition. So peacemaking does not mean, or being a people of peace does not mean, that we will be people that are never angry. What Paul does say in this text, though, even though he admits that we will be angry, is that he encourages us to be angry but not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. He encourages us or he urges us to not let anger seethe and go unaddressed. Now, I've heard this passage used very passively sometimes in church by people who have like issues with somebody or something and they'll say something like, well, I'm going to be angry and sin not. And and what they mean by that is they're going to hold a grudge and never do anything about it. (laughs) That is not what Paul is saying here. In fact, Paul is saying act on your anger as soon as you can, but do it in a way that is committed to peacemaking and love and even kindness. Oh, man. See, even kindness enjoined in this text at the end does not mean the absence of anger. And boy, is it hard to be angry and to be kind at the same time, right? Yet Paul urges us that if we're going to be a community that reflects the new life that God has come to initiate in the world through all those who claim to be part of it, through their baptism and through their faith in Jesus, that we must be committed to these types of ethics and behaviors. He urges us not to let anger seethe and go unaddressed. Jamie Clark Souls um, said this. Much has been made of verses 26 and 27. And many pastors have deployed this verse in premarital counseling for better or for worse. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. The text does not say, do not be angry. Or anger is not Christian. Rather... It warns against the dangers that tend to accompany anger. Anger agitates us, and agitation can cloud our judgment, making us susceptible to the wiles of the devil. According to Scripture, the devil traffics in deceit, leading leading people astray or into sin, and destroying relationships. Brief anger may bear fruit, But sometimes it is attended by enmity, self-righteousness, tearing one another down, haughtiness, and the hard, desiccated ground where we believe we are right. The author never imagines that Christians are inoculated against sin or anger. If they avoid it, it is through the practice and the crucible of Christian community not through conversion or some new state of goodness. When Paul discusses or when Paul talks about our anger and being aware of it and having it but still not sinning, it is almost as if we are being warned about how, our, how, we, how easily we can be intoxicated by our own adrenaline and by our own drive to be right and to win. So when there are things to be angry about, which there certainly is, and there will be things to be angry about, Paul urges us to be mindful of how that anger exhibits itself within the community and later on without the community. Paul continued to elucidate ethics in this passage regarding how we talk to one another, how we should work not for our own... Excuse me, I want you to notice this too. He talks about how we should work with our hands. And it's not so that we can have our own personal property in this passage. Uh, Paul says that thieves should quit stealing for themselves and they should start working with their hands so that what they make and what they earn can be shared with the community as is needed. He encourages us to put away bitterness and unbridled wrath, not to tear one another down with slander and to be kind to one another. And then he closes by simplifying the matter, or we may feel complicating the matter, with a, with a suggestion of an audacious task in chapter 5. And this audacious task is to be imitators of God. Particularly, Paul says, be imitators of God by living in love with Christ as our example. And with Christ as our example of love... Christ is the example of self-sacrificial love, which is a theme we will see recur later on when Paul talks about the household codes and he enjoins the self-sacrificial love of Christ as something that should be enjoined or imitated by the male figures in the home in this particular historical context. Self-sacrificial love is the love of Christ. Paul has already said now, he's already kind of given us... um, a little bit of breathing room for how audacious this task seems because he's already told us that the love of Christ even though he wants us to know it is largely unknowable because it is so vast and so great and it passes our human imaginations for what that might look like yet we are to seek it out we are to strive to imitate it we are to strive to be like God, to imitate God particularly in this text by following the self-sacrificial example of Christ's love. Uh, imitation is a theme that is enjoined actually throughout the second half of the letter. Um, we'll see it again in the household, co- household codes. We'll see it again a couple of other times in Ephesians where he tells them to imitate Christ. It's like the first century version of WWJD. Um, follow Jesus, imitate Christ. Jesus putting off the old life of hating our enemies fighting fire with fire eyes for eyes and teeth for teeth is a difficult task yet it is the only way forward for the person in Christ who seeks to be part of establishing the kind of community that God wants to establish through Jesus. And while we may rightly fear many things in our world right now, things that often invoke strong feelings of anger within us, the peace of Christ, which passes all understanding, is still more powerful than our anger. And according to Scripture, it is more powerful in changing the world around us than our anger ever will be. I want to bring up Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 and 16. Then the kings of the earth and the magnates and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne such a strange faith, phrase here. And from the wrath of the Lamb. Remember then that it is not the anger of the warring lion that makes the warmongers of Revelation tremble. It is instead the anger of the peaceful Lamb who was martyred. The image we have in Revelation as the martyrs struggle to understand how to resist what the beast is doing to them and their brothers and to the least of these. The writer of Revelation reminds them that it is the lamb that strikes fear in the heart of the warmongers and not the roar of the lion. And that's hard for us as emotional beings, as people who love deeply and feel passionately about things, and especially when we see things that we really should be angry and outraged about. and When I think about my own life and how, what are the 1, 23s 3s, ABCs, the formulas of acting that out and being that kind of person that can have the anger of a lamb and not the anger of a lion I find myself woefully inadequate I find myself as someone who does not actually know at times how to do that and that is why I'm thankful for the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and that is why every Sunday we pray it and why I try to pray it every day thy kingdom come Thy will be done in me as it is in heaven. You stand with me. Musicians, come. Be imitators of God. An audacious task. It's one of those tasks that kind of feels like when you get up in the morning and you've got a massive to-do list. Maybe I'm the only one here, I don't think I am, who looks at that sometimes and is like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down for another hour before I get started. (laughs) And then an hour passes and you look back and the list is still as long and now you have less time to do it, right? It's an audacious task. And yet, Paul says it is the tasks of those who claim to be in Christ. So not only do we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done in us as it is in heaven. I like to pray for lots and lots of doses of grace and mercy along the way because we will get it wrong, we will hurt one another. We will lose our cool at times and compromise our testimony to those who aren't in Christ. Some of you may do it before you get home today at the stoplight. But we call and we ask for lots of grace and mercy. And we know that God is able, not just able, but willing to give us just that as we try our best to grow into these new clothes that we're putting on. Amen? God, I want to thank you for your word this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that you would even bathe this sermon in, word, in, in grace and mercy. God, that you would help us as, um, as people who, who I know genuinely, genuinely want to live out of this commitment to being people of your future. A future of shalom. A future of wholeness. A future where the Lion and the Lamb will lay together, God. Father, that is what we as a church are committed to. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would have your will and your way in us. Let your kingdom come. Let it it abide among us and in us. Show us how to live with the wrath of the Lamb and not succumb to the anger and the warring and the wrath of the lion. Father, help us to find the power and the authority that is in the wrath of the Lamb and to depart from our worldly ways of anger and frustration and violence. God, help us to build one another up and not tear one another down. Help us to encourage and not humiliate. And give us wisdom, God, as we speak truth to the powers and the principalities and the the powers of darkness that Paul calls them in Ephesians, Lord. That we can be truth-tellers, uncompromising in our truth-telling, Lord, but unwavering in our commitment to peace and to love and to grace and to forgiveness, God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If our servers will come, we'll receive communion this morning. Everyone is invited to receive communion today. If you're a guest with us, you're still invited to receive communion If you don't want to, that's fine. No one will judge you if you want to just remain at your seat, it's no problem. Uh, We'll also have prayer partners at the front of the um, building this morning. If you need prayer for anything, I encourage you to stop by one of our prayer partners and uh, allow us to spend some time joining with you in prayer. Let's read um, the invitation together. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you and it is his will that those who want him should meet him here.
0: Thank you again for joining us. We invite you to send your requests and stories to info at renovatuschurch.com and give by visiting our website, renovatuschurch.com. As we close every service at Renovatus, would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us.